The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. TV party tonight! TV party tonight! Oh, we got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews. Don't want to talk about anything else. We don't want to know. We're dedicated yes. to our favorite shows. Oh, my tickets. Everybody loves hip photos. Gary Dawg. Larson has blurred balls. Futurama. Hello and welcome to TV Party Tonight. I'm your host and I'm coming to you from the void. I'm kidding. I just am having some minor visual problems, hence why you can't see my face right now. But yes, it is me, Alexis Haina, and I am here with Mark Radlich. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing pretty good. All right. And we are here to talk about Welcome to Chippendales, a bio graphical drama miniseries created by robert siegel this is the same guy who gave us pam and tommy yep. he was also oh, the writer <laughs> you couldn't resist could you not even a little it's also the guy who wrote the wrestler and the founder uh, the stars we're gonna pronounce his name a million times god help us kumel nanjiani this is uh the same actor this is a comedic actor uh who got uh, an oscar nomination for co-writing the big sick with his wife uh you probably recognize him more recently from the <laughs> eternals so yes this is the tale of steve banaji an indian immigrant seeking the american dream who ends up building chippendales one of the largest male erotic dancer corporations in the world and yet you never would have guessed that it ended up leading to to blackmail and murder murder it was murder she wrote it also stars murray bartlett as nick denoya his partner choreographer and eventual murder victim we also have annalee ashford as his White as uh, Steve's wife Irene. We have Juliet Lewis as Denise, another uh, staff member who supposedly, according to this, invented the breakaway pants. I don't know how realistic <laughs> that is, but you know, whatever. Did you ever see Natural Born Killers? No, I haven't actually. I know I need to. You really do. It's it's a it's an interesting movie, but um, it is provided my lasting memory of Juliet Lewis. Like if I never remember anything else she's ever done in her career her screaming at woody harrelson what you want to fuck other women where where the fuck are you going like never that is burned in my brain lovely <laughs> juliet Lewis. that that and um uh rodney dangerfield as the incestuous pervert parent good stuff lovely yes <gasps> All right, so uh, we never actually talked. Are we going to discuss episode by episode, or you just want to talk about the show as a whole? Show as a whole, please. All right. So let's go ahead and take a look at our main character, Steve Banaji, who is 
of course, uh, he, uh, born Solomon Banerjee, uh, changed his name, who started off uh, as a, just a regular guy, regular old Indian immigrant, but he wanted to be just like Hugh Hefner. So he kept trying all these new ideas, thinking he could capitalize on it until he came up with the idea of having men do a strip tease at his club. Uh, we also get a little look at um, the, in the first episode alone, we actually get a look at Paul Snyder and Dorothy Stratton. And the tragedy then unfortunately surrounded them. Paul, these two were real people. Uh, Dorothy was a uh, Playboy playmate who was, whose career was on the rise. And Paul was a man whose career was kind of going in the opposite direction. Um, he is played by Dan Stevens, one of my actual favorite actors right now. He always leaves such an incredible impact whenever he's on screen. But unfortunately, we did have to... Sorry, I'm getting an update here on my phone. I'm trying to, it's like, no, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> tell the tell them people you're busy. I'm trying. It's my dad. So it's like, dude, I'm working right now. Oh, yeah. Inevitably, my, my parents love to call and text while I'm on a recording. And so unfortunately, we do see the fallout with Paul doing a murder-suicide with Dorothy. It is very tragic. Like you do. Yeah, of course. <laughs> So let's go ahead, like I said, let's go ahead and talk about Steve's rise first. Uh, th this is a guy, he is an immigrant. He wants to fulfill the American dreams. The whole reason he came over to America, it's the reason that his family is still over there. So what stuck out to you, uh, at least in the early episodes, about uh, Steve? All right, you pitched me this show and you're like, it's by the same people who did Pam and Tommy. And so between the content, the nature of the show, it's about male strippers and it's by people from a show we already liked uh, and reviewed, I was like sold American, but I didn't. I don't know anything about the Chippendale story, so I'm watching this first episode, and it goes through so much. Like that first episode shows him being offered an opportunity to become um, a higher manager of this convenience store, and he says, "No, I have dreams. I'm going to open a backgammon club." He does the backgammon club club fail so he kind of converts it to more of a nightclub uh since he has the space and you know it's not that hard of a transition and he gets to stripping by way of trying different gimmicks to get people in the door he finally and when he lands on it it becomes popular and and the episode just keeps going <laughs> and so uh his male male review gets popular people are coming the girls are enjoying it uh, and then the choreographer shows up and says, yeah, this is trash. Let me come in and, and actually design a show for you that's worth people seeing and not the seedy environment you've created. And so he does. And it's successful. And we're off to the races. And then the, and then the episode ends. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what other possible story is there then? Like, like I, I did a thing. I opened a business. It was successful. It's still successful today roll credits so my my impression after the first episode and we're not going episode by episode but i definitely needed to talk about the structure of this thing was i was for the first time in a long time truly intrigued by where was this where could this possibly go doing no reading having no context no foreknowledge of what this was going to be 
I legitimately had no clue what the next episode would be about. I'm like, I feel like they told the whole story in one episode. That first episode, Alexis, was like way front loaded. If they had wanted to drag this out a little bit more, you could have cut that into two or three more episodes. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of funny, actually. I did not realize when I first saw the trailer for this that Steve Banerjee ended up murdering his partner. I, I legit had mm. no idea. I I saw the trailer. I thought it looked like kind of it was fun. Again, I saw it was from the guys who did Pam and Tommy, which was a very enjoyable show. And I asked my husband, I said, hey, do you want to watch this? And he's and he watched the trailer and he goes, oh, yeah, it's about the guy you end up murdering his partner. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it turns out that Andre, um, who's a very big true crime fan, had seen a, a thing on. I don't remember exactly what he watched, but it was just like a true crime biopic about Banerjee. And yeah, he told me what happened. I'm like, oh, OK, then I guess that's where they're going with this. Yeah, when I. As the show unfolds and you start, I mean, one of the things um, that we do when we review shows is, again, instead of a, you know, episode by episode recitation of the events that happened and the subsequent geeking out, what we do is we examine like the themes. One of the big themes of the show is, is almost mental illness. And mm -hmm. Steve is like this highly driven, hyper vigilant figure, but he is plagued with self-doubt paranoia um a big reoccurring theme throughout the show is the competition between him and uh what's the choreographer's name again nick denoya nick where nick has all these great ideas and nick has um professional experience and entertainment that he's using for the success of the club and steve can't take the win mm -hmm. like his wife um who i love i love her in this show i gotta see what else she's done but steve's wife who is also the bookkeeper and accountant she actually says to him one point she was like at what point do you are, are, are you gonna stop fighting success everything is in the uh in the working towards the success of the club and that and the success of the club benefits you and you alone, Steve, you're you're the one getting the largesse of this whole thing of everyone else's hard work. So your name is not the one that's that's in light. Who gives a shit? Take 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 the wealth of this that everyone else's hard work has given you and be happy. And he can't. The man over the course of I think it's nine episodes can't get out of his own way to enjoy the wealth other people created for him after he got the ball rolling. And I found that to be an intriguing aspect of the show that this ultimately as a drama is a tragedy that um, I don't know if you ever read the D and D books, but in its own sort of w weird way, it's like the Lord Lord soft thing of this is your opportunity. Don't fuck it up. And he, yeah. could, and he can't get out of his own way to not fuck it up. And he brings about the cataclysm. Pretty much. It, it really is tragic just to watch that he really Sorry. is. There's people out there going, did he just compare D&D &D to the fucking Chippendales? I don't know if I should keep watching this or if this is the most amazing podcast ever. Keep, keep going. Yeah, like I said, <laughs> he's just unable to let go of his own ego. I think my mm -hmm. favorite moment that really shows 
you know, just who Steve is as a person. We have an episode where Nick has finally convinced him to open a club in New York. Mm -hmm. And he goes to the premiere and it's a huge hit. And Steve's standing outside and it's snowing. And, and being from Bombay and then moving to L.A., he had never actually seen snow. And he's just kind of mesmerized by it. It's so peaceful. And Nick hits him with a snowball. And he's like, what was that? And he's like, oh, you've never been in a snowball fight? And he shows him how to make a snowball. And they have a cute little snowball fight. And it's fun. And you see this joy in both of them. And then all of a sudden, uh, Steve loses the advantage and starts getting hit with more. And he starts crying for Nick to stop. And he says, you're such a bully. And Nick's just like, that's a, that's a snowball fight. That That's you're, what it is. What you're missing is the brilliance of that scene in that depending on your perspective can be seen two different ways the way that you just described or the other way in which uh nick is so frustrated despite himself with steve and steve's control issues and nick it's not it's definitely pointed to from about 50 yards away, but it's never totally dealt with. I mean, a little bit with the uh, with the investor that he meets in New York, but not all the time and not enough to where I can say this, they fully dealt with it. But Steve's sort of frustration and, and, and having to wrestle with his own uh, wrestling with his frustration that he can't be in charge that he can't be leading things, that he can't be Steve because mm -hmm. there can be only one Steve. And in that scene, Nick kind of loses control of himself. Like, <clears throat> if you've ever been in a situation where it starts out all fun and games, but deep inside, you're so mad at someone, you're so frustrated, you're so saddened by their... Uh, lack of whatever it is you needed from them, them, their inability to give that to you, that something that starts off innocently and playfully becomes violent, becomes aggressive. Yeah. And that's what happens. That's why I said that scene plays two different ways, depending on what your perspective is. What I saw, and I, and I see, I saw your, the way you described it. I'm not blind. Um, you know, it's Steve lost the advantage. Steve felt bullied. Steve cried the other way. Nick had an advantage and all of this stuff bubbled out and he just started hammering Steve and stopped seeing Steve like turtling up and just kept hammering him until Steve yelled loud enough to shake him out of it. And then Nick, and it's such great acting. Mm -hmm. It's great performance in this, you know, great performances in the subtlety. He knew he fucked up, but he's got such an ego and he's so angry with Steve inherently that he won't admit it and instead goes, it's just a snowball fight. It's just a snowball fight. What are you getting so worked up about? And, you know, and Steve's like, you're a bully. And Nick's like, whatever. <laughs> and that's the end of the scene. Yeah. But it, it th that's some brilliant writing where depending on what your perspective is, that scene plays differently. Absolutely. We have so many scenes with Steve. It just shows how... Oh, again there's got to be some diagnosis for his ego you know we, we have seen where he sees another club in la offering male exotic dancing for one night only and he says that they're insulting him and it's you're, you're, you're talking about like a personality disorder yeah they where they're you know it's a mental illness but it's definitely a mental illness of the behavioral kind 
Um, and there's, you know, paranoid, there's antisocial, there's narcissistic. Um, go on TikTok, you'll find a bunch. But <laughs> I'm sure. my point is what you're talking about, Steve's inability to accept somebody else might be doing the same thing as him and it hurting him mm -hmm. mentally. You know, he, you know, he is hurt by the fact that somebody took something from him. He's got such hypervigilance about things that he's like threatening the guy and the guy's like, Fucking America, man. I can <laughs> you don't have this locked up. The, like, this ain't Mickey Mouse. You don't own the IP, brother. Uh -huh. <laughs> I didn't even realize I was making a joke. Um <laughs> but, but like no, but that's like that's basically what he says to him. It's just like you don't own the copyright to male strippers. I can do this if I want. And Steve's like, no, you can't. That's a personality disorder, Alexis. Absolutely. He just is unable to deal with any kind of competition. Mm -hmm. I actually find it interesting. Um, we, Andre and I also watched the A&E biography available on Hulu uh, about the uh, murders with Strippendales or mm -hmm. Strippendales with Chippendales. <laughs> no, on the nose. Strippendales is actually the name of the company that Steve Banerjee's son opened up. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, very on the nose. It turns we're, out we're not even gonna pretend to like be classy. Huh? We're just gonna call it male strippers, you know. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but it turns out that all of those arsons were just attempts. Apparently, Ray Cologne and his crew just threw little Molotov cocktails through the window. They were caught easily, the fires were contained, and the show still went on that night. They were able to just, you know board up the damage sweep it that's ah, it's a little burnt wood it's fine yeah <laughs> listen I also, I also nothing can get between women in there and you know women in their uh their abs and their penises listen that's just the way it is well, yeah well fire's not gonna stop that i also find it interesting to look at steve's racism because this is actually something i've seen a lot in business the because steve himself is says that he's not racist i mean he's not white but he is horribly racist to his main lead dancer a black man named otis yeah to the okay, point that, what you're talking about yeah to the point that even otis even though again he's his best dancer he gets the biggest tips all the women love him he doesn't get put on the calendar okay is it steve's racism or is it the tacit acknowledgement that this country is racist and only likes black people in a certain way. Well, this is what the 80s we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. So relative to the time period, only likes black people a certain way at a certain time doing a certain thing. Um, I mean, it kind of goes to like the early blackface stuff in this country of we're good with black people. So long as you humiliate yourself for our entertainment, that's fine. That's worth keeping you around for. There's your value. Make us feel better by your uh buffoonery and i i don't think it's that steve is racist so much that he sees because he's experienced it himself as an indian he sees racism in this country and is going okay the market is middle to upper upper middle class white women those women get their money from their men their men hate black people and any sort of power or showing any kind of sexual prowess to their white women. Therefore, in order to make money, let's not upset the apple cart where any of those things are, are existing. 
And that comes out in him not wanting the black guy in the calendar and not wanting this or that. Because again, let's not upset the money tree. And the money tree is white men. I, I, I can't, from a, a moral ethical standpoint, I'm with you. Steve is bad on a business standpoint. He's doing the right thing. He's trying to make the most money in a, in a world that is utterly unfair. True, but it's still racism. He's still participating in a racist act by not giving Otis his due. And then we find out later about like that, passive racism. Like I'm, yeah. I'm going along to get along in what is already a racist environment. So I may not particularly hate black people, but I'm participating in the act of minimizing, uh, uh, minimizing black people, uh, dismissing them. That's sort what. Of yeah. Thing. We later find out that he actually handed out VIP cards specifically to white clientele. Oh, that he, was a reaction to him though. The, his mistreatment in the restaurant. Mm hmm. Or perceived mistreatment in the restaurant. But again, passive racism is still racism. And I have seen a lot of people who participate in this. Mm -hmm. Who constantly act like it's like, well, no, I'm not racist. I just acknowledge that the world is racist. But you're still doing <laughs> racist things. Yeah, you're still doing the racism. I get it. Yeah, it's like, it doesn't matter if... Banerjee from a business standpoint is right about how you know the fact that the calendars wouldn't sell in the south if for a month women look at a black man <laughs> yes we cannot have a naked black man hanging in the kitchen of a white man that's this is not gonna fly yeah it, it doesn't matter that's mm -hmm. by the fact the fact that he is still minimizing otis is racism mm -hmm. the fact that he's admitting he's minimizing otis because he's black. So just to be clear, and so people listening are like, like, I don't disagree with any of what you said. I think I'm just, I'm citing the complexity of the so sociopolitical dynamic that was going on in the show that the show is talking about. Yeah, exactly. Like I, uh, I said, it's a multi-layered, it's a multi-layered and very complicated issue, but it's one mm -hmm. that I have seen a lot of. I have seen a lot of businesses who say it's like, well, no, I'm not racist, but I can't, you know, put black people in this ad because it's going to reflect badly on my company because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look at that and say, oh, he's, you know, serving minorities. We don't want to deal with him. Well, <clears throat> you don't even have to look at racism. You can look at any kind of um, prejudice uh -huh. and, you know, and the passivity of that prejudice. So don't ask, don't tell in the military. You know, that's an, I would say that's an example of prejudice against gay people, but it's like, we don't want you to express yourself fully because we're, this, we're uncomfortable with this. We feel like it takes away from the military. We have all kinds of reasons why we don't want gays in the military, but we need bodies and mm -hmm. we don't, and we don't want to be in a position of outwardly banning you from the military. So just don't fucking tell people you're queer. Just keep it to yourself. Um, yeah, pretty much. Passive prejudice, if you don't like racism. But I think that's that's probably like the most best and most modern example of that sort of thing. That everyone's like that really more or less aware of. Very true. So, yeah, we got that. We got the passive racism. 
it's also I think worth pointing out that in the A and E biography, it's pointed out that the two dancers that he wanted dead from the uh, London-based dance troupe Adonis, mm-hmm. in real life, those were former Chippendales dancers. They quit and moved to the UK, and they took jobs there. He wanted them killed because he said that they were again insulting him by working for another company. Speaks to his like abandonment issues, you know. Mm-hmm. You you uh you can't leave me, so I'll kill you instead. Like the the show doesn't totally go in this direction, but there is definitely <clears throat> like leanings towards painting Steve as almost like a mob boss. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I think about um like certain crime shows. <coughs> <coughs> Take a drink, everybody. I'm gonna make a wire reference. So I talked about this with the uh, season five with Marlowe and, you know, and as soon as the cops pull off Marlowe, the first things out of his mouth is, all right, Chris and Snoop, I need you to go back to murdering people. And the first person he wants murdered is a guy that talks shit about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's amazing people with, you know, Steve, Marlowe, any number of people um, when they have a degree of power. And the first thing they want to do is kill people who talk shit. Yeah. Know, kill, pe- kill, kill people who they've <clears throat> perceived as slighting them in some way. Mm hmm. So you people in the Rattle and Broadcast Network better hope that I never uh, have money. Tell you that right now. <laughs> well, doesn't that mean that I'll actually get paid for once? You won't be alive to spend it. Oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> well, you're slighting me. My perceived slights from you. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. So again, we see more of the... F- fallout between nick and steve we also see steve making some pretty stupid business uh moves this the episode with the um the proofs for the calendar freaking killed me because again i used to work in the publication business and the fact that he doesn't look at that i'm like it's gonna bite him on the ass there's gonna be something wrong with him we got a freaking Chekhov's gun as a calendar here <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Did that really happen? Did they have like that substantial of a fuck up? Um, if th- he did, it wasn't included in the uh, biography series. Okay. So. Also, like, I don't know. I don't know if that really happened, but I also find it hard to believe that you've been making calendars for this long, and on this particular set of calendars, you put thirty-one days in all the. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I. It was one of those where I accepted it as part of the drama, but I'm not entirely sure I believe that that would really happen. And then we got the whole thing with the tour in which he's getting half the money from the tour. And that's pretty much the only thing keeping him and his wife's, you know, out of the, you know, off the streets. But he becomes convinced that Nick is still cheating him. And I remember watching this going, it's like, your wife's a bookkeeper. Just tell Nick that Irene needs to look over the books from the tour for some reason, dealing with taxes or something, I don't know, and have her confirm this. Mm -hmm. You know, why are you making such a big deal of assuming and not confirming? But that's just what we got out of Nick. He was unable to put his ego aside to do any kind of fact-checking. Yeah, the... The need for Steve, I mean, the, the the thing with the tour and that whole scene where they make the uh, deal in the diner on a napkin. Which really did happen. That goes to, again, 
the mental stuff with Steve where he has a need to prove his worth by by handling things, by fixing them, by being successful. Like mm-hmm. <clears throat> it, it hurts him to have to share the success with other people. He was willing to do it when think when he was on his ass, but now that uh, they've been successful and he's attaching his self-worth to the success of others. So he's he is less worthy the more successful everyone else is. So in a need to kind of prove himself to his wife and to himself, he wants to have some successes. So he's doing things in secret. Mm-hmm. Like that whole scene is about him. Like I'm going to fix it on my own and I'm going to look like the big hero and everyone will love me and I'll be good. It's like, and, and it's like, where am I getting that from? Go back to like the flashbacks of him talking to his mom and never quite feeling good enough for her and her telling him he's not, he's not go- doing the good things by making the decisions that he is like, I think she wanted him to stay in India and help with the family business. And he's like, no, I want to strike out on my own. And she's like, I don't see any value in you doing that. Yeah. She and- says the line, something to the effect of not everyone is meant to be rich. Right. Um, there's, he is desperate to prove to among other people, his mom, that he is good. And if he is successful, then he is good and he will have done so. And the mom is like, I don't even accept your premise. Like, your whole logic is flawed. If you did the things we asked you to do, you'd be showing you're a good son and I would love you then. But this other shit that you're doing, I have no, you know, that you're doing to show me that you're good, I have, I place no value in. You are utterly unconvinced me. And Steve really struggles with that. And so then he, like, he turns to his wife and he's like, well, I'll prove it to you. And all his wife wants him to do is communicate with her. Boy, can we all readily identify with this like the wife's like could you just work in concert with me could you not go do things in a shady way in the dark you know hide things from me like be a good upfront businessman do the right thing as saint Mm -hmm. spike lee says and come to me with stuff like run things let me run the numbers let me make sure things are okay you know if woody had gone to the police none of this would have ever have happened but instead steve has such a desire to prove himself that he does things on his own and he does not consult his wife and he fucks up along the way pretty uh, much that tour he there's no way he wasn't being ripped off but and had he done it the right way he'd have had checks in place to make sure that he was getting the money that he was owed and instead he got you know he he allowed himself to be snookered yeah the fact that the man never bothered to learn the definition of what in uh, perpetuity means <laughs> That that's an easy one, you know. <laughs> like that's that's why we're just like, I don't even know what this word is. I'm gonna go show it to a lawyer. Like mm-hmm. people in prison figured that shit out. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't understand what this word is. Do you tell me, lawyer? So I'm not gonna lie, I found the ending of the series to be just a touch on the rush side. We have the murder occur in the uh, penultimate episode right near the end. Um Nick is in his office in New York. His uh, boyfriend goes to the bathroom. A unknown man or an unseen man goes into the office. We hear a shot and Nick is dead. And the final episode is incredibly rushed. The majority of it takes place in Switzerland, which is apparently this really did happen. Steve was so terrified of being caught that the only place he would talk to anyone about this was in Switzerland. 
So Ray Cologne had been caught on another offense and he basically said, and they said, look, you know, you're going to do time for this. And he said, well, what if I give you the guy who killed Nick Denoya? And yeah, he had him in the hotel room and he was trying just so desperately to get him to confess to something with the uh, FBI agents through the freaking wall. <laughs> yeah, that episode is way dragged out. Mm -hmm. it goes on forever and it's so telegraphed what's happening i to, for me it was i almost wish like in they they just cut the last episode and truncated the episode before it kill nick halfway through and then the other half of the episode is him confessing on tape and going to prison because i think even there's an episode after that where you know where things are winding down and the other my other issue with the way the show ends and maybe this is just because I'm, I'm just tied to uh, traditional structures. There was no title card. No no end title card telling you what happened to anyone. And I was well, like, there so was. It was when, but it was overlaid on the scene where his body is taken into the uh, ambulance. I There wasn't, but that was it. And whatever, mm -hmm. I can't remember what information is conveyed in that. But I thought there would be more, you know, to my, my point. Like, I thought there would be more about Chippendales. I thought there would be more about everyone else involved. Mm -hmm. Um. I just felt like, as much as I like the show, I, I don't feel like it's a strong ending. Um, I think there was a lot that was dragged over two to three episodes. And then at the very end, with you know, with him hanging himself in prison, I was like, meh. It's like, by the time it was, I didn't get that, like with Pam and Tommy, when it ends, like I truly felt for, for Pam. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, even though it doesn't necessarily have like the tragic ending of if someone hanging themselves or whatever. Like I, I felt like they wrapped the story up well. I felt satisfied. I here, this feels underwhelming. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's weird because it does feel dragged out, but it also feels rushed in the same mm -hmm. way. You know, it goes very quickly from his arrest to him in prison to his suicide. And then you get right after that again we get one title card which i believe said something to the effect of this is how he kept chippendales from entering into uh the basically it allowed his wife to hang on to the uh, rights to chippendale so she wouldn't be left completely without any source of income right so there was that and then you get the scene uh, where it, sh I, I guess it's supposed to be like if everything, it, you know, it's, it's either Steve in his prime or it's showing if Steve had not been, you know, totally paranoid because we see him walking through a very packed club and he says hi to Nick and he says hi to Denise and mm -hmm. Irene's up in the office and he gives her the Coke, Coca-Cola, not the, not cocaine. <laughs> or cocaine bear. I'm going to be so happy when that movie is done and we stop with the jokes. Really? Because we talked about Morbius all year. Have, hi, I'm Mark. Have we met? Yeah, that's true. No, and in, in fact, there's actually a cute little bit in the beginning because Steve originally is not a drinker and Irene's not a drinker and they both meet mm -hmm. drinking Coca-Cola and it's really cute. Mm -hmm. I'll go ahead and say it, actually. The actors playing Steve and his wife have a lot of chemistry and they're adorable together. Oh, yeah. You know? the, the... I, I love the early scene where she's pointing out to him that if they cut down, I think it's like 30% on how much ice they put in the glasses, they'll save thousands of dollars a year. That's 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 interesting. And it's cute. Yeah. yeah. 
I well, one, the actress I think has a really nice look to her. Um, I think they had good on screen chemistry. Um, I enjoyed their their pairing throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I thought all the actors did really good. I love the chemistry between Nick and Denise. And you mm-hmm. really feel for Denise because she has fallen head over heels in love with Nick. Okay, can we talk about? I, gosh, I hate to relate everything back to relationship dynamics, but there's a scene where Nick is clearly in love with what's the investor's name, real quick? Bradford. Okay, Nick is clearly in love with Bradford. Nick regards Bradford as really his like primary relationship, and he is trying to maintain a relationship with Juliette Lewis. But it's not nearly as important to him as is one with Bradford. Um, and that comes out a couple of times throughout the season. And there's a and there's a scene, and I really related to this personally, where it's like Juliet Lewis is there with Nick, and they're together, and then Bradford enters the scene and he turns away from her and he's like overly affectionate with Bradford mm-hmm. and you know his whole demeanor changes you could see like butterflies and doves fly out from between them and Juliet Lewis is just there like holding her dick just <laughs> just like just kind of sitting there like wish you loved me like that like <laughs> oh Juliet Lewis and her utter frustration it's like I've given you everything I've told you ha- have multiple sex partners be in love with this other guy I just like don't leave me behind don't abandon me and you're doing like the one thing I asked you not to do. Mm-hmm. Like, what more? What more was I supposed to do for you? And he's like, and this broke my heart. He basically was like, "You're not Bradford," more or less is what he says. It's like, you're not him. I- yeah, he he says that. You know, she's like, well, you know, why if you lo- why can't you love me? And she points mm-hmm. out that he was married right. for a time, and he says, "Yeah, because I was in love." And that pretty much spells it out that he doesn't love her. Yeah, he and that was like a, like a that like Daisy Duck moment where you could actually see the heart chatter. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> Look, Lisa, you can actually pinpoint the exact moment where his heart rips apart. And here, <laughs> yeah, when he was like, "Yeah, that's right. I wasn't. I was married because I was in love with her." And it's one of those where you can't make anyone else love you. No, <laughs> like, they they can be with you. They can be in a relationship with you, but you can't make them love you. Uh, not the way you love them, not the way you want to be loved. And in that moment, you could see Juliet's heart just chatter into a million pieces. Um, and uh, credit to Juliet Lewis in that scene. You do more with like a facial expression, a little bit of body movement than you do with any bit of dialogue. It's it's really... Yeah. It was hard to watch, but brilliant at the same time. Um I think it's something that a lot of us identify with. I think a lot of us have had cases where we have fallen head over heels with someone and we've had that moment of realization of it doesn't matter how much we love them. Mm -hmm. It's never, they're never going to love us the same way. And it's, it it is so so hard. And you know, that look that Mm -hmm. she gives, we all do. Yeah. It was heartbreaking to watch like that feeling of, I gave you everything and it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. and nick going you're right nothing nothing would have ever been enough you're they not do the love one. each other as friends they yes. have great chemistry they're incredible business partners they work super well together right but she was not the love of his life brad, brad bradford was mm-hmm. and he tried and it, and to nick's credit i guess i don't really know how else to say this like he tried to get her to understand that he was like i don't know 
I'm not going to apologize for not loving you the way you want to be loved. I'm going to be me. Mm -hmm. And you have to accept that. And I'm trying to move, move this forward so that we can continue to live our lives and you can be okay with this. And she's like stuck on this one thing. And he's like, you got to move on. <laughs> like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to go the way you want it to go. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy for you. Yeah. And no, they never do say, can't, oh, sorry, go ahead. She, well, I was going to say, I'm not the guy for you. And her reaction is, I don't accept that. <laughs> like they're just at this impasse and they cut away from the scene, but that's, that's where, that's where they landed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They never actually explain. I, I mean, we're left to assume that Nick is gay, but it's also possible that he's just uh bisexual. Cause again, he was married to a woman. He's pansexual for all we know, just, you know, doesn't really matter what you are. Yeah. Because, yeah, he does clearly prefer the company of men over women. Mm -hmm. He can but, be pansexual like Lando Calrissian. So, but, yeah. Stop beating that horse. It's already dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've talked about the chemistry of the actors. We've talked about some of the episodes. We've talked about the racism. And we've talked about the uh, I, uh, ego and the personality uh, disorders. I got to talk about that one scene, though, where they're in, where Bradford and Nick are in bed. And Nick is like, because I don't, I don't hate the Bradford character. There's nothing about him to hate. He's fine. But I, he has I hate a, his singing in that one scene. But no, that's no, just gonna, that's I'm a personal gonna, thing. Yeah, I'm not going to hold that against him. Mm -hmm. um, but like they're in bed, and you know, and Nick's like, I want to go do my own thing. I want to get out from under Steve. Steve's a pain in the ass. All right, you know, heard, acknowledged, uh, can confirm. And so Bradford's like, why don't you just do Chippendales? And he was like, no, I, you know, and he goes through this whole song and dance about it. And Bradford's like, what are you, an asshole? <laughs> like, you have a winning brand. Give the mm -hmm. fuck. Like, I, I, much respect for characters that are written with common sense. You know, I, so often, and this is the reason why I'm bringing this up. So often in, in media, so in drama, um, entertainment, we have characters. We talked about this with Megan. Where if everyone wasn't a complete idiot, you'd have no movie. Mm -hmm. I to the point that I now feel the need to call out when people are written brilliantly um, and humanly to to where I relate to them in that way. And Bradford saying something that anyone with common sense would have said: "You're cutting off your nose to spite your face." Chippendales is a brand that is known. Just do it in New York. Stop being. Stop getting in your own way. Because your butt hurt. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I'm glad somebody like wrote what was a very human, very true, very honest thing that a coherent person would say. I And, you know, it was one of those moments that made me key into the show more because I'm not sitting here. Even the crazy stuff that Steve does is crazy stuff someone might actually do. I've seen people behave this way. Um, nobody in the show, and this is my only point with this, so much of like what we watch, the criticism becomes no one would act that way. No one would do that. They're making them do that so that you can go to the next plot point. I never got that with Welcome to Chippendales. Everything here seemed believable if you understand human behavior. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and you don't have to be a mental health professional. You just have to have lived and paid attention. And we've met all of these people and we've heard them say all of these things, if you catch my meaning. Yeah. And that's the thing that I liked about this show. And what I also liked about Pam and Tommy 
is that recognition that these are human beings that would actually act this way and that stuff is done for dramatic purposes to move the story structure along, but it's not so out of bounds to where you don't feel like we, we, you know, you're watching a show now, you know, you know, you're watching a fiction of some kind because it's so poorly written. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Sorry, still here. It's like you just suddenly stopped talking. I was like, wait, yes, what was I, the next I, I, Nope, I was done. And you either react to it or move on to something else. I was trying to like, wait, what was my next point on here? Another thing that catches me is the whole scene with the interviews. We have Nick Denoya going on TV and he's addressed as Mr. Chippendales. So Steve is just so outraged that he tries to go on local TV and we see that he has absolutely no screen presence whatsoever i had to fast forward through that stuff i was like i can't i know what's happening yeah. here i know what this is i ugh, that was cringe very cringe and again we know people like that who mm. you know are smart are capable put them in front of a camera and tell them to sell something they can't do it Hell, one of my original uh, business partners, when I first brought her in, she had no sales experience. And I remember her trying to sell stuff at, at conventions and she did not know how to approach the customers. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't remember the pitch on our jewelry and everything. But she got better. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is that Steve just clearly needed a lot more practice in that kind of a field. But he wasn't yeah. willing to do it. He's like, no, it has to be me right now. Only me. Right. Because, yeah, that scene of him being interviewed was just, oh, my God, was so <laughs> bad. So bad. Yeah, it was way cringe. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else? Um, I, I mean, I know this is, it's only, oh, it's eight episodes, not nine episodes. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else uh, that we wanted to talk about? Um. Weirdly, and I know this is, like, oh, of course he says this. So when you were initially pitched Welcome to Chippendales, and you're like, oh, it's by the Pam and Tommy people. I'm like, oh, this is going to be like, there's going to be a lot of sex. Weirdly enough, this doesn't, the show is not about sex in any real way. Yes, there are, you know, it's about a company that's selling you male nudity. And yeah, there's a couple of sex scenes. Yeah, and there's some sex scenes, but in terms of what this show is about, you know, racism, the struggle to succeed, mental illness, um, betrayal. When you think about this, you know, why are we telling this story? What cautionary tale? Um, you know, it's, it's ugh, my second why reference of the evening. What, what good does this do to put this in the paper? Why are we, you know, to, when we talked about Pam and Tommy, just as a point of comparison, it was, let's talk about women's agency in sex and how we treat men and women differently you know <clears throat> a guy can show his dick in, on a vhs tape and everyone says good for you a woman you know <clears throat> a woman shows her vagina and we're ready to burn her at the stake for being a witch mm -hmm. um let's talk about that why are we this way what is wrong with our culture and the thing with welcome the chippendales is it is in no way talking about sex in any way shape or form um, it addresses it in that sure women are horny too, but and, and you know and like to see naked bodies heard. Um, but outside of that, what is its relevance to the culture and why are we talking about this? I think that those discussions revolve around 
what does it take to succeed and what does success do to your do to you mentally if you're not prepared to handle it um <clears throat> in terms of like like cultural relevance i think it's a it's an interesting story <clears throat> and there's definitely things to talk about we spent almost an hour doing that but strangely enough the show about male strippers doesn't really speak to the idea of sex at all it's it's just in the background it's, it's decoration exactly this really is more about being careful with the rise to fame it's very much a mm -hmm. be careful what you wish for story yeah i mean you have a scene where steve is getting fitted for a suit and he keeps telling the tailor to raise the cuff on his sleeve and the and the tailor's like well, why do you want that that will look stupid he's like just do it and you find out it's because he bought a rolex watch and he, and he wants, wants that watch yeah he wants everyone to see that watch at all right. times yep because he has to show look i'm i'm good Look mm -hmm. at me, I'm good. <clears throat> Don't throw me away. I'm valuable. I think it does kind of raise to the point of how do you gauge your own success? When does enough become enough? I think um, something that's been a reoccurring theme in my life uh, from a mental health perspective, being happy with yourself mm -hmm. so that you don't drag everybody else around you looking for them to validate you, looking for externalities to validate you because you can't validate yourself yeah <clears throat> and that's a lot of what the show is pointing at because even nick you know nick can't just be happy with the, with the success of chippendales either he needed steve to validate him and when steve wouldn't do it he threw a big old giant man tantrum exactly um i don't know if the show though does the best job of, of pointing that i saw it um, but I'm not, but the show tends to paint Nick. And this is really the last thing I wanted to talk about now that I'm, it's occurring to me. I, I think the, the show's perspective is that Nick is mostly faultless, not totally, but he's sort of the, the good guy in this. And that's the tragedy of it all is that, is that the good guy gets killed. And I see Steve and Nick as more of the same guy, both needing external validation, both not getting it both throwing giant man tantrums. They're just kind of throwing it at each other and hurting everyone around them. Mm -hmm. And that is the great tragedy of this story. Yeah, you realize how much better the show or how much better the company would have been if Irene and Denise had just thrown their men out and run the whole thing <laughs> themselves. For the last time, Alexis, you can't throw me off my own show. Damn. <laughs> you keep trying, but I'm going to keep throwing it back at you. <laughs> I'm good. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. But yeah, I think there is a clear message and I think you're right. You need to be satisfied with yourself yeah. more than anything. Cause you're never going, cause if you're just relying on external circumstances and external forces to validate your life, <laughs> you're going to be let down every single time. It's never going to be enough. Yeah, for sure. There is no way that any single person, any group anything in the world is ever going to equal just the ability to look at yourself in the mirror and say i am enough agreed thank you tony robbins <laughs> i actually don't know if tony robbins ever said anything like that that was just the first self-help just fucking go of. with it man like i have no idea <laughs> Just to sell it and go, man. Don't 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 question yourself. I've said so. I've said some weird over sixteen years of doing this. I have said some shit, and I'm just like I'm standing by that. Yeah, sorry. It's just like okay, now let me get off the soapbox here and away from the lectern. <laughs> I'm off my soapbox. 
All right. Uh, so if there's nothing else we want to talk about here. Uh, so yeah, Welcome to Chippendales is available on Hulu. It's really good. We do highly recommend it. There is also the A&E biography about the murders at Chippendales. If you are interested in more of the true life story, because obviously this is very he heavily uh, dramatized, uh, you can go check that out as well. It's really good. Although it's clear that that was meant to be watched over several days because andre and i binged all four episodes at once and they repeat so much stuff it's like you know it's like you ever watch uh, a, a tv series that it airs just once a week yeah and then you know you go back to the next episode and they re-air so much stuff because they're convinced the audience won't remember it from the previous week and it's like we just saw that yeah it's like i know i've told the story before but it's like when we went to go see the 98 SummerSlam at madison square garden and the theme was highway to hell by the time, after having heard in the in the audience that, that the Highway to Hell theme, at every time they went to break, by the end of it, we were like, I don't like ACDC anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I can believe that. I really can. Yeah. So, yes, we highly recommend both. Uh, Kamal Najiami is terrific in the role of Steve Banerjee. He really sells it. He does a wonderful job. All the actors in this do. It's a well-done series, and I think we are both really looking forward to what Robert Siegel is going to give us next. Uh, again, this I think even though this wasn't as good as Pam and Tommy, I think it does follow up the series nicely, and I really am intrigued with what else he is going to give us in the future. Yep. Um, if uh, you know, if you see what he's doing next, and I don't uh, pick it up first, I'm up for doing whatever else is in this <clears throat> line of shows. He's kind of like a Ryan Murphy, where, like, oh, I'm interested in whatever it is you're doing. You're you're you typically at least hit the ball, if not a home run. Speaking of Ryan Murphy, congratulations to Evan Peters winning the Golden Glove for Best Actor. Go check out our review of Murder: The Jeffrey Dahmer Story. Plug plug. Yep. Alexis and I always doing the stuff for adults instead of this bullshit you people do like Star Wars and Willow and ugh. <laughs> well, we did do the episodes of Animaniacs and Cuphead. I don't know what you're talking about. I only do adult <laughs> stuff. You don't want to do the third season of Animaniacs? Nope. <laughs> I'm fucking done, man. No, oh, you're no fun. <laughs> That's me. No fun rattleage. Fine. I'll call Zach. Good. All you're right. going to make me jealous. You have as many boyfriends as you want. <laughs> all right let's go ahead and get into plugs then uh do you want to go first or do you want me to go first uh sure uh i may never get to do dope sick at this point she keeps canceling on me so meh, whatever uh however we did do we did review megan uh we put up the episode it's not on the website just yet because i'm i'm back i'm backed up a bit but we did uh on the audio feed and on youtube there is uh, a review for A Christmas Story Christmas and The Fablemans from Movies That Don't Suck and Some That Do. There's an Unspoken Issues for Superboy, Superman, Elseworlds. Uh, I had to fix this because initially when I downloaded it, it only downloaded half of it and I didn't know it until it went up. So now if you go back into uh, the audio feed or you go on YouTube, you will find the entire hour and a half recording of myself and John War from a few years ago doing not just Carl Frampton versus Schmageggy McCreary, but also the main event of Oscar Valdez versus Adam Lopez. And it was Adam Lopez because Gutierrez was 11 pounds overweight. He's fat is the problem there. Um, on Sunday, the uh, prior Sunday, my wife, Pat Mullen, and I back in the uh, 2016 
when David Bowie passed away, we did it a special Metal Hammer of Doom where we listened to David Bowie music and we talked, told stories and uh, celebrated the life of a true treasure in music. Tonight, uh, we are doing another Metal Hammer of Doom jukebox. We're going to look at the best albums, something like, uh, I think, Metal, like Metal Live Wire, whatever the name of the blog is, did uh, the top 50 albums of 2022. We're going to go through that list and tear it apart because that's what you do in a podcast. Uh, this weekend, uh, they'll probably, I'll, before the end of the weekend, I will put up the episode of Movies That Don't Suck and Some That Do that I was on, which was the 2022 year in review. Uh, we had a good time with that. I like those guys a lot. And we had a lot of fun talking about a lot of agreement. And the ones that weren't on my list were just movies I didn't see, like Barbarian. But there wasn't anything like crazy, like something that was on someone's worst list was on someone else's best list, which I think is what happened last year. There was some wild disagreements. Uh, this year, we were all more or less on the same page. So it was a fun conversation. This weekend is a re-airing of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, Superman's Enemies, Lex Luthor, Brainiac, Berserko, the Bizarro, whatever the fuck his name is. Um, Brainiac, if I haven't said that one already. And then on Sunday, um, I'm going through slowly but surely the old uh, Metal Hammer of Dooms from the Blog Talk Radio days. So we're going to re-air Children of Bodom, Halo of Blood. Uh, next week, We've got a couple of things here. Ronnie Adams uh, is has been named co-chair, co-president of uh, TV stuff. <laughs> he, got, he got access to StreamYard is what happened. And him and Pat want to talk Tulsa King. So they're going to. Uh, that's going to go Monday night, assuming they don't cancel. Tuesday, uh, myself and Robert Winfrey will be reviewing Plane. Wednesday, uh, we'll be back 10 o'clock at night. I'm going to put Gavin... And Alexis in the same room and see if they fight it out. Um, like a dehumidifier and a humidifier. Uh, so yes, myself, Gavin Napier, and Alexis are going to review Kaleidoscope. I am watching Kaleidoscope, the show where it doesn't matter what order you watch it in, uh, in linear order, um, date order, chronological. That's the word. What order are you watching it in, Alexis? chromatic order because every episode is titled after a color so i am watching essentially in the order of a rainbow but this is really something because nearly every listing that we've seen so far says the best way to watch the shows is to end with white but to watch yeah. it through chromatic order i gotta start with white oh interesting you're gonna start with the finale and work your way backwards like memento Kind of, yeah. But again, they say that you're supposed to be able to watch it in any order. So I feel that this is really putting it to the test. So I did a little bit of research. There was an article that I posted in our group chat and on Facebook from CNET about the orders to watch. And the, as you were saying, and sort of play off of that, the common belief is that there's enough surprises and twists and stuff in the white episode that the consensus is that should be the last one you watch no matter what order you watch these in mm -hmm. um i can't do it i don't care <laughs> i'm watching it in chronological order because i can't handle anything else isn't jesse joining us as well he was asking about what other orders everyone was reviewing in because i don't think gavin has revealed what order he's using um yeah i don't know <laughs> no clue i will get with him before next wednesday and we will have a pizza party um Thursday. I think Jesse is just really uh, watching them in release order. He's basically just going from, you know, the order that the show is listed yeah. on on Netflix. I could be wrong, but I think that's what he said he's doing. I think you're right. Uh, Thursday, I'm not recording anything, but uh, it was supposed to happen this week. He delayed a week. Uh, Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy podcast is going to do a 
the future of Dungeons and Dragons, a Screaming Boy one-shot is what he tells me. So that allegedly is happening a week from tonight. And that is all I've got. I'm done talking now. All right. Well, for me, since Mark doesn't pay me, that I will go ahead and tell you about my company. That's Honeysuckle Rose Cur- Yeah, you know, just because I'm broadcasting from the void doesn't mean I can't see when you do that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fandom meets fa- fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. I'm not stopping you from talking. Yeah, you're right. You're not. All right. Not me, you slop artist. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. You know my weakness. Chuck Jones cartoons. (laughs) Yes. You're not going to duck a muck me, kid sister. A close up, you jerk. A close Close up. up. End the fucking show already yeah got it okay so yes honeysuckle rose creations the intersection of geek and chic go ahead and check out our etsy and handmade at amazon shops we just uploaded a ton of new jewelry we have a bunch of brand new wire wrapped dice and a new collection based around the hit netflix show wednesday i'm really excited about that uh it's gonna be a while before we're back on the road this is our down period uh, there's not a lot of shows in the winter, and I'm kind of terrified of driving in winter weather, so I try to abstain from, you know, long travels this time of year. Um, but look into the future. We will be at Planet Comic Con in March here in Kansas City. It's our home show. We always love appearing there. Uh, for horror fans, we just found out that the director and lead actor from Terrifier are going to be making appearances uh, at Planet Comic Con. That's really big. Really excited about that. And of course, you know that we have a very long line of horror influenced jewelry and we will be bringing our A-game for that. So again, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. And so for Mark and myself, this has been TV Party Tonight, and we're saying be well, behave, be safe, and knock it off, Mark. Let's be well, be safe, and scissor me, bro.